Thursday night is the 27th of July, 2023. Here we are, picking up where we left off last night. Oh, what a great show that was. That was a great show with Matt from Cultivate Elevate. We've got another good one for you tonight on this uh, on this week, this week finale. It's a weeknight finale for you on a Thursday. It's going to be a Thursday uh, exit next week, too. Although, maybe I'll do a midday broadcast next Friday. Next Friday, I'm going to that uh, Metallica Pantera concert that I bought tickets for last year. It's the first concert I've been in, been to, and I, would, I seriously would not be able to tell you. Not without some thought. But, um, yeah, that's what we're doing tonight. And uh, all throughout the weekend, we'll make sure that we have best ofs and all that other stuff on quitefrankly.tv. And I'm never not too far away, but I'll be taking care of some personal business and, um, and trying to en- enjoy some time with the family. And I, uh, But I think that we've done a lot of good work. I think we got some great stuff in the bank after this week and every week. Next week is going to be amazing as well. What do we have going on next week, Frank? I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. Um, we have Payman Motaday. Motahaday. I've tried. I mean, I'm going to have him say, you know, I'd love to know what your last name is. Payman is going to be on with me on Monday night. He's from the Freedom Law School. We're going to be talking about income taxes, the truth about it, what we may all just be getting, what what loopholes and and what things we, we're overlooking here. I know all the accountants out there are going to be like, don't do it. But I figure we, you know, we jump into that topic because I've wanted to do it for a long time, and I've gotten plenty of guest suggestions about the, about it, and then uh, a promoter or a publicist that I've been working with a little bit uh, recently. And uh, say, hey, you know, I've got this guy, too. Want to talk to him? I said, you know what? Yeah. Throw him into the mix. So we'll see how that goes on Monday. On Tuesday, Rich Barris comes back for a a nice, nice, uh, I don't know, vitals check. Though it'll be a short one because we've got band practice that night. So Rich and I will probably go for about 40 minutes. It won't be the, the usual hour. Still should be good. On Wednesday next week, August 2nd, Ryan Gable comes on to talk about give a nice occult, de-occulting breakdown of Oppenheimer, Barbie. I want to find a way to work Twin Peaks into that as well since we're talking about um, we're talking about atomic technology and the state of the world, the state of the cosmos. Next Thursday, a week from tonight, we're going to be sitting down with Michelle Ridley. Michelle Ridley is a therapist. She's a, in particular, grief in the grief business, getting past grief. And I got a lot of that I want to talk about. 
uh, that's another great way to bring up nostalgia from a different t kind of standpoint also just grieving a lot of people are grieving all different types of things i, I think collectively we're all just kind of grieving uh you know w the things that we know are gone wondering if we'll ever be able to truly build them back so I, that'll be a great night and i'm sure that we'll have some great calls afterwards so you see and then the week after that on august 7th monday night august 7th zoso dude he'll be making his way across the country and he'll be uh, parking his bike outside of the studio on Monday, August 7th. You know what we're going to do that night? With Zoso Dude in the studio, a man who has been to probably thousands of concerts, we're going to be talking about, finally, the best, worst concerts you've ever been to. We're dipping into that thread on, quite frankly, .tv's forum. I know a lot of you have been waiting for that. It is one of the most contributed to threads that we've ever put out there so th th this is going to be great to just read through those things get Zoso's stories from the road and stories from life and then taking calls on top of it so you see August and the last days of Jan uh, of uh, July are really looking good but as for tonight as for tonight we have with us Lori Williams of intuitivespecialists.com. Lori Williams is a uh, is a not only a remote viewer but one who teaches who teaches controlled remote viewing training all that and services because you have no clue how often uh, the corporate world and other other uh, you know organizations will seek out controlled viewers or, or remote viewers controlled remote viewers for different types of services and things that they're trying to uh, I don't know ideas are trying to hammer down information they're trying to gain what kind of information I have so many questions it'll it'll run the gamut and I'm sure we'll have a couple of time a couple of moments afterwards to take some calls read through your super chats so as we were watching tonight write down questions write down something that's following up and, and we're going to end with something nice and special for you all you'll see. All right. All right. Another announcement I have for you. Book Club. Book Club begins next Wednesday, August 2nd, after we wrap up with Ryan Gable. That's on Wednesday night and all the Wednesdays. It's five Wednesdays in August with Lindsay Sharman. We are reading The Devil in the White City. You still have some time. You have plenty of time to get that in. You have plenty of time to even catch up if you meet, miss the first week. Just do it. Become a sponsor and do it. Here is the official first session you all need to know. Pages 1 through 84. Pages 1 through 84. It stops right before the chapter titled A Hotel for the Fair, which you know what hotel that is, right? The Murder Hotel. Okay, so page 1 through 84, and I will make the official thread on the forum over the weekend. All right, you ready for that? Thank you, Blue Monster Prep, for my for the shout-out tonight as our, our sponsor of the day, the week, the year. You're wonderful. Go find all of our great sponsors and affiliates on the affiliates page on quitefrankly.tv. And now into the grab bag we go. Did you see this? Disclose.tv put this out not too long ago and a few other people picked it up as well. 
here is a line of people who are voluntarily, mostly young people, voluntarily lining up to have their eyeballs scanned. That's right. The eyeballs are already getting scanned, and you can say, oh, not me. Well, they know, not you. They don't care. They're waiting for you to die because there's a lot of people who are just coming up who are just fine with it. That's why I always say concentrate on the preschools, not the nursing homes. That's what they're doing. People voluntarily line up to have their eyeballs scanned with a world coin orb to get digital ID. All these people. Some old, mostly young. Look at that. So that's been making that's been making the rounds today. That's been making the rounds. You wonder what's going through people's heads, then you probably not not much. Not thinking not thinking this through at all actually. Here's the new scientist. I'm sure they're all very concerned about climate change though. Headline Sea level may have been higher than it is now just 6,000 years ago. Climate researchers thought that current global average sea levels were the highest in more than 100,000 years. But new models suggest oceans just 6,000 years ago may have been higher than at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and possibly even higher than today. Impossible. The oceans may have been higher than they are right now between 4,000 and 8,000 years ago. Understanding how the ancient climate led to those high seas, I wonder if you can remote view back to that time and uh, and go and measure the uh, the oceans. I'm sure there there are some natural there are some natural landmarks that exist back then that are intact from where they are right now. They've been there for thousands of years and would be a really good uh, benchmark for what ocean levels were. Again, again, the people pushing this nonsense are still gobbling up oceanfront property all over the world. You think that they'd be moving inland and, and building, uh, building houses on top of mountains, but they're not doing that. Understanding how the ancient, ancient climate led to those high seas can improve projections of how climate change will affect sea level in this century. There are three points in Earth's recent geo, uh, geologic history where the planet was warm enough to somewhat resemble today's climate, says Roger Creel at Columbia University in New York. The most recent of these was around the middle of the Holocene epoch. And to continue reading this, I have to subscribe with an introductory offer to NewScientist.com, which was not there before. So our fun is ending a little bit prematurely. All right. On to the next thing. Pyramid-shaped mountain. This is from Oddity Central. A pyramid-shaped mountain in Antarctica sparks online conspiracy theories. Now, this is nothing new. The pyramid shapes that have been uh, examined from Google Earth or anything else in Antarctica have sparked theories for a long time. I don't know if they'll get into it. But there are some people who believe that Antarctica is actually a potential location for where Atlantis is and has now been buried under ice due to pole shifts. But um, that was, that's only the tip of the iceberg. In fact, I still have a really awesome Antarctica thread that we have got to go through one night, maybe a Saturday evening. 
wonderful thread. Either that or a Friday night. This one came off of, I think, 8chan, and um, it was an Antarctica Anon that spoke of arachnids and all types of things going on down there. Creepy. Creepy. And the, and the more you read it, the more the, you know, what if keeps growing. A pyramid-shaped peak in Antarctica's uh, Ellsworth Mountain range, the whole mountain range there, has been fueling all sorts of conspiracy theories involving aliens, ancient civilizations for at least seven years. Satellite images of pyramid-shaped mountain peak in Antarctica first appeared on the internet in 2016, measuring two kilometers square in each direction at its base, a design reminiscent of Egyptian pyramids. Which would make sense because, if it is Atlantis, because... You know, the ancient Egyptians were the, the descendants of the Atlantean survivors, if you remember your lore. The geological structures instantly became the inspiration to all sort of online conspiracy theories. Some claimed that it had been built by an ancient civilization 10,000 years ago when, where, when Antarctica was warm, while others said that it was the work of aliens. But while it's true that a naturally occurring pyramid of that size seems unlikely, geologists would tell you that this is actually just that, a mountain that happens to look like a pyramid. Pyramid shapes are not impossible. Many peaks partially look like pyramids, but they only have one or two faces like that, rarely four. Irvine geology professor Eric Rignot told Live Science, this is just a mountain that looks like a pyramid. You see, you, you, you are theorizing too much you had too much to think it's nothing maybe i'll set this aside if i have any time with Lori williams tonight i can throw things like this at her because i definitely have to ask her about ufos and what's being shoved down our throat and all that here is another thing that i totally vibe with headline from oddity central man ruptures lung while screaming at a concert of favorite idol group a 19-year-old man in China reportedly ended up with a hole in his lung while screaming his heart out at a concert of his favorite idol group. A young man from Shenzhen, China, recently suffered a pneumothorax. I didn't know that that was a thing. Learn something every day. Also known as a collapsed lung. While screaming loudly during a concert at his favorite idol group, Chinese media reported that the 19-year-old was enthusiastically screaming during the band's performance when he suddenly felt a sharp pain in his chest. He started experiencing difficulty breathing almost immediately and ended up passing out. The unnamed youth was taken to the emergency room of, Shenzhen, of a Shenzhen hospital where doctors concluded that he had suffered an uh, alveolar rupture in one of his lungs due to, ex to extreming to screaming, excess, excessive screaming, I should say, during the concert. Now, you know, this is, I'm going to a concert next week. This will not be happening to me. I don't scream during concerts. Uh, well, sometimes I do, I'll go, you know, a little hoot. Yeah, you do a yeah or something like that. But I, I'm not a big concert singer, you know, everybody around you singing. I just like to watch bob my head, check things out, just be present, have a good time. Uh, there was a time where I just wa you know, wanted to be in the pit, all that. Never crowd surfed, though. Never crowd surfed. First of all, cra male crowd surfers are not treated very nicely. Female crowd surfers, you I mean, I don't know why you guys even do that. 
just you're just pretty much getting molested by everybody. That's just like a a, a, a green pass. But this is me at a wedding. The ruptured lung. This is me at a wedding or any other smaller gathering where there's a DJ there. That's when I have the ruptured lung and my, my voice is, d- is destroyed for a couple of days. No concerts. Don't need to scream. Don't care about the lyrics. I blow out my voice talking about landscaping or something stupid in a setting where there's a DJ going on and where you can normally have a leisurely conversation. You now have to project over uh, gasolina or whatever the hell it's called. It's just you can't, it, I, you know, so, yeah. I won't come home with a bad voice on next Friday night. But the next time I go to a wedding or a uh, first communion, forget about it. 48 hours, I'll have to go on complete radio silence. All right. I think that's all we have in the opening here. I think it's so. Let's get on with the show because I would love to read. Uh, I would love to read a little bit about our esteemed guest tonight and set the stage a little bit, get you all warmed up. You ready for that? All right. Without further delay, let's get this one started. Thank you so much and help me share the show. Whether you're watching live or on demand, get it out there, please. Help me out and let's create some great momentum going into the weekend, especially you people on YouTube and Rumble. Encourage each other to like the stream. It is so important. It's so important. YouTube, look, guys, big, big push and a heave. In fact, on YouTube, go to Rumble to like over there too, then go back to YouTube. Rumble, go to YouTube, like it over there, then go back to Rumble. Let's just double everything, especially with YouTube. Let's just hit that 100K to say that we did it. It's not a big deal, but let's just say that we did it, damn it. All right, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I'm a little weenie looking for a bun. Just a teeny weenie, itty bitty one. If I keep on cooking, I'll be overdone. Pickle and onion, hot dog. <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> what was that? <laughs> You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! So, what are we going to do now? I'm going to uh, 
spend a little time catching you up about our our guest here tonight because it's a topic that I never get I never tire of and um, and we're gonna be able to hit it from a couple different angles too because of the nature of her work and uh, her experiences those are always different but I want to see what there where there's common ground especially with people like Andrew Bashago um, I mean uh, some of the other uh, very big names out there like Joseph McMonagle I mean that we can go all over the place even our friend uh, Dr. Albert Taylor we've done a lot of astral travel um, remote viewing, trying to get the the difference between it all, near death experiences. I think it, it's all out there. I think it's all very closely related, and sometimes I I forget the the nuanced differences between them all. But Lori Williams, here's what here's how her bio reads. You know how you sometimes just know something, but you don't know how you know. There is that feeling that knowing that you should do a certain thing or go a certain direction or take a certain route. And when you follow that gut instinct, it feels so good when you find out you were right. We are all familiar with those moments, those pangs of regret when we don't follow those instincts and are kicking ourselves afterwards. We have all experienced those moments to some degree. Lori Williams had a lot of those moments as a child, a teen and an adult after a lifetime of unbidden vivid precognitive and unexplained paranormal experiences she began seeking a way to control these spontaneous bursts of intuition we all tend to fear that which we don't understand and fear is never a good platform for launching your life talked about fear the other the other uh, week how fear can be a very um, big detriment especially if you're an exorcist In her search, Lori was fortunate to meet a man who had been part of a top-secret military program, a program of psychic spies. That man was Lynn Buchanan, author of The Seventh Sense. Lynn spent the next several years teaching and mentoring Lori with the vision of having someone well-trained to whom he could pass the torch once he retired. Since they met in 1996, Lori has been researching, practicing, and studying the science of controlled remote viewing. In 1999, Lori met the first remote viewer to be induced, in, induced, <laughs> inducted into the military's then-fledgling psychic spying unit. Yeah, that's why I went and I also grabbed the this uh, thumbnail, the thumbnail image of the men who stare at goats. We had one of those men who stared uh, stared at goats in this audience for a long time. A veteran, good friend of mine. Uh, he's a late great friend of mine. Gadget Doc. His father watches the show now. Brian Brian Senior. Um, he was he was a, a one of the men who stared at goats in the army. Got some some things out of him, but there's a lot he couldn't talk about. Teased him a lot too, because you know the whole goats thing, and you know. Anyway, over the year, over the years, Miss Williams has spent countless hours honing her remote viewing skills through practice sessions with provable feedback. Can't wait to talk about that. You have to talk about that. Always wondering, how does a person know that they're actually getting somewhere or is it just an imagination? Their imagination at work or did they just fall asleep? If I was doing remote viewing, I bet you any money I would just fall asleep, have a vivid dream and think that I just I, you know, That's what it would be. 
and uh, and complete with written summaries and recorded data sheets. In those early years, from 96 to 2001, she drove 12 hours round trip on many weekends to assist and learn from Mr. Buchanan as he taught various remote viewing workshops. In 2001, Ms. Williams became first certified, the first certified civilian controlled remote viewing instructor and has been teaching an average of one to five three-day workshops on a monthly basis ever since. She has taught remote viewing in Canada, Ireland, Russia, Europe, and all over the United States. Additionally, Lori has taken multiple post-advanced CRV and related courses. Her studies led her to also delve deeply into associative remote viewing and extended remote viewing. Hmm. I didn't make a note about that. The extended. Lori de- developed a strong friendship and mentorship with Mel Riley, the first remote viewer in the remote viewing military unit and the only person who was in the unit twice during his career. As a professional remote viewer, Ms. Williams has worked with five remote viewing companies and countless corporations in three countries. Lori is a member of the International Remote Viewers Association, as well as the Professional Controlled Remote Viewers Association, and has a track record of 87% accuracy in the PCRVA professional database. Now, I wonder about accuracy as well. We have to talk about that. If you know the techniques and if this stuff is real, then how could the accuracy be any lower than, I don't know. I mean, if you're doing it right, what what could go wrong? Where could inaccuracies and where can things get fuzzy? That's That's very, that's curious to me as well. Her experience includes working with law enforcement to assist in missing persons cases, conducting professional sessions for corporations that have had a direct effect on profit margins, working on archaeological mysteries, doing extensive life path sessions, and for individuals uh, uh, and working on many remote viewing healing sessions. An accomplished public speaker, Ms. Williams, has traveled throughout the world conducting workshops and presented on controlled remote viewing, hypnosis, and intuition development. So like I said before, as we wait for her arrival, please write everything that you have down because it would be a uh, it'd be a tremendous thing, especially if you send it in through super chats. I'm going to keep an eye on those throughout the course of the evening. Um, if you send them in there, then we're going to be able to 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 get you all involved in a much more controlled way and effective way. Too much, too too much going on. All right, all right, just another minute, and um, and we will be on our way now in her media kit that's the other thing i had over here in her media kit she was talking about how there's also classes that she does that are absolutely free so i'm wondering i'm wondering if there's anybody out there and it's not one of those like um uh timeshare pitches where you come on in you get the first 30 minutes for free then you're hooked for everything else that there's actual classes out there and i know that this audience is is filled with people who have gone into that uh, direction who have tried these things out and have been willing to try and just like with the electroculture last night um if anybody out there is inspired to try any of these these tiny techniques these basic to intermediate intermediate techniques that can actually go out and and uh, and learn a new skill like this you gotta let me know what you've done 
You have to. You have to keep in touch. I can't promise I'm going to be able to, uh, to do it, at least not in the next couple of months, with everything else i got going on. Um, that's all I need in the middle of a home remodeling, get stuck in another dimension. No, I know. I know. It's not about going to other dimensions, but, st- <laughs> but still, these are the types of things that I want to keep open with the audience. And here we have Lori with us right now. I cannot wait to jump in and get into the deep end. Lori Williams, welcome to the show. Much for having me, Frank. Oh, really honored to be here. It's an honor having you. It really is. And I, I guess I, you know, we just read through your bio. I already am. I'm just bubbling with questions. I guess the first thing I would I say is, before you met the big mentors in your life, you said that you just had you had a past that was filled with paranormal, unexplained experiences, things that were just tugging at you that you knew that there was something going on. You were a lot more sensitive than others. What kind of experiences were you having? Well, I had, from the time I was really little, I, you know, like my earliest memories, I remember these beings would come into my bedroom at night and take me out of my bed and we would go flying. And the interesting thing was, you know, I I called them angels when I tried to communicate to my mother what was happening, but I was like three years old. So my vocabulary was limited, but I remember calling them angels, but they actually, in my memory, they were wearing long, dark like long they look kind of like um keanu reeves in the matrix you know they had Mm. these long dark coats on and long dark hair and they seemed male to me and they would communicate with me telepathically and i would be communicating with them telepathically which of course at three years old i didn't know what telepathically meant you know but i remember communicating to my mother that we didn't have to use our mouths when we talked because we could communicate with our minds Um, I remember that they would take me to classrooms and I would be in these classrooms where I'd be learning things. So I have these memories from being so young, you know, very, very young. Um, My mother did say that I had a near-death experience as a baby where I, you know, clinically died and was revived. Um, I have no memory of it, though, because she said I was like two years old, so I don't remember it. But um, they have done studies where they found that children who... Are, who die and are brought back tend to have a higher degree of psychic ability. And so I, I guess that maybe why this happened, but I didn't even know about this until actually like 1996 is when I found out that I'd had this near death thing happen. But my whole life, the kinds of things that I would have happen was my, for example, my mother would be on the phone with someone and I could hear the other person's end of the conversation in my head and you know, hear what they were saying. Um, I would also have a situation where I would, especially when I was 12, we started having um, like a poltergeist activity in the house. And it was only happening around me. Uh, my mother did experience it though, but you know, she was, she was sure that I had brought something into the house. And um, so I was starting, we were starting to have a lot of things happen where there would be physical manifestations of something, you know, objects moving by themselves. And that has happened my entire life and continues to happen to this day. Um, My husband and I were watching a movie not too long ago and a a dining room chair just sort of tipped up onto two legs by itself and then quietly went back down onto all four legs. And my husband looked at me and he's like, "Uh, did you see that? I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. And and this, this follows you, this has followed you from house to house, obviously all throughout your life. Um, that's uh, you know, when you when you mentioned the near death experience. I was I started to wonder what exactly what the, the experience was because you always hear uh, about some things that can change uh, very very 
I'm, I don't know, uh, very seriously about a person, especially if the experience has something to do with like electrocution or a, a lightning strike, whatever, something along those lines. You always hear about um, people. No. With mine, um, it's a, still a little bit of a mystery. And uh, and I've heard a few variations of the story, you know, because memory is so unstable. And so when you hear different people's memories, um, you have to take it with a grain of salt because memory does change very quickly. But my mother's version of it was that she t took me out, you know, out of, I woke me up from a nap put me on the floor of the living room and it was kind of a living room kitchen area. She went to go wash some dishes up or something. And when she turned around, she said, I turned around and you were flopping on the floor like a fish. And she came running over and I was turning blue and my eyes were open and fixed and glassy. And then I stopped breathing. And my two older sisters were kind of peeking out. One was probably I don't know, four or five years old. The other one was probably seven or so. And um, they were kind of peeking out, watching all the drama. She ran to um, to the door that led to, it was a duplex. And so she called to the Hungarian woman who lived in the other half of the duplex, whose name was Mrs. Bartoli. And she screamed for her. She came running up and grabbed me by my feet and started pounding me on my back, thinking I was choking on something. Um, then they asked my sister if she, they had given me, they asked my sisters if they had given me something. Um, my One of my sisters said she gave me a piece of paper, like put a piece of paper in my mouth. Hmm. But, um, but anyway, when they finally got to the hospital, though, the doctors said they thought it was a febrile seizure that had happened. So... You know, it's kind of it's kind of an unknown. It's, there's a, there's a few unknowns involved. With it's this definitely it's a, a trauma, though, and we all know what what trauma can do to people. Whether it's just natu just naturally happens or it is induced by a controlling party, uh, trauma is is very very life changing, and that's also okay. So th that's a very interesting backstory. I'm sure that we can go into that for hours more, but uh, <laughs> from there, it seems like it sets you on a path. Curiosity wondering what this is that you're experiencing, what you're plugged into, and then you meet two uh, in the 90s, one after another, uh, two of the bigger mentors in your life. Start with Lynn Buchanan, then we can talk about Melvin Riley. Um, you know, they were involved in military programs for psychic warfare and spying. What, tell us a little bit about these two men and how they came into your life. Well, Lynn Buchanan, um, you know, he also had a lot of experience with with psychokinesis, which is what it's called when objects are moving around you without, you know, any human interaction. Um, he had had that that his whole life. And so when uh, he had a situation happen in the military where he kind of blitzed out a bunch of computers, not just in the U.S., but apparently in China and Russia as well. Um, like this whole grid went down of computers and it, it was top secret to this day. I don't think it's a known thing. It's nothing that's been published, but the brass were very aware that he had caused it. Um, and there's a little scene in the movie, the comedy movie by George Clooney, men who stare at goats. There's a little scene where George Clooney's character, whose name happens to be Lynn spelled L Y N, which is Lynn Buchanan's first name walks into a room full of computers and they all go poof and they all break they all just die and then it shows the general saying did you blitz out our computers and he said yes sir i'm afraid i did and the response is far effing out 
<laughs> um, and so that actually happened. That is exactly what happened. I mean, it's it's a little different than it was portrayed because it wasn't. He didn't walk into the room and the computers all burst. Um, it was it was he was getting ready to demo something that someone had sabotaged, and he found that throughout his life that if he got very angry that anger would affect things around him especially electronics and so the guy when he looked at the guy and, and everything kind of blitzed up and there was like a little weird thing on the screen when he was supposed to be doing this demo of this program he had created for the top brass um the guy looked at him and just went gotcha and walked out and his anger he didn't want to you know hurt anyone so he directed all of his anger into the computers and they all blitzed out so um, and so then the general did say, did you blow up our computers? And he said, I'm afraid I did. And he said, far effing out. And that, and that's when Lynn ended up getting put into this unit of psychic spies for the U.S. military. The reason the U.S. military created a unit of psychic spies is because they discovered that the Russians were getting a lot of our military secrets and they had no way of knowing how they were getting them until a man defected from Russia with documents proving that Russia had a psychic spying program. And so, you know, governments being what governments are, the response is, well, if they have one, we have to have one. And so they went to Stanford Research Institute, which was, at that time was a top secret think tank with these physicists who helped develop the laser, Russell Targ and Harold Puthoff, and they said, hey, we've got this problem, we need you guys to research this. So they started doing a lot of research into psychic phenomena, ESP, telepathy. Um, they got two main guys that they were experimenting with. One was a retired detective from Burbank, California, named Pat Price, and the other was an artist from New York City, named Ingo Swan, hmm. and they start, They would put these guys in these, um, uh, what are the Tesla tanks, you know, the, <laughs> they would put them in these tanks that were shielded from EMF and all these things to try to see if they could be psychic, even though they were shielded from everything around them. And um, these guys did incredible things, you know, in, uh, and they actually ended up after all the years of research, they ended up with more solid proof that telepathy and clairvoyance exists then the FDA has proven that aspirin is effective as a pain reliever. So um, meanwhile, so Lynn Buchanan gets put in this unit and the unit by this time had been around for a while. It had been around for a few years and he gets put in it and he, uh, he starts out handling the database, doing all, putting in all the data of these sessions that were being done. And then he eventually, after he got trained, became a trainer in the unit. Um, when it got declassified in 1995, it was right around that time, just after it got declassified, that I uh, was really doing a lot of research into trying to understand what had been happening to me my whole life. I had encounters with ghosts. I had a lot of precognitive dreams, you know, just so many different things. I was, and, and then these, you know, the thing of objects moving around me. So I was like, okay, what is this? I have to understand it. And I really wanted to reconcile that with with my my then belief systems so um i happened to run into a man at a conference who had been the psychologist in charge of the 20-year program for the u.s military ran the psychic spying program and i just and the funny thing was i had no idea who he was but he was a presenter at this conference 
and uh, I had a dream about him one night. He was a total stranger, but I had this dream about him. The next morning when I saw him and we were standing out waiting for the doors to open to the ballroom for the conference, we were just the two of us. So I asked him, I just started telling him about the dream that I had and, and he started asking me some questions and we got into a conversation and somewhere along the line, I was like, oh my gosh, have you seen this new book that just came out? I haven't bought it, but I saw it on the new arrival shelf, it has something to do with psychics in the military. And I had no idea why I was asking him this question. You know, It's just sort of like, did I say that with my out loud voice? And he said, it's really weird that you're asking me about that book because I'm a character in that book. I was in charge of that military unit. I was the psychologist who, who vetted the guys going into the unit. And so then he was very interested in me and he started kind of leaning into my space and asking me a million questions. I started getting a little uncomfortable and trying to move away. But um, finally he said, when you get home, go on the internet. And the internet back then was still pretty young. You oh know? yeah, oh yeah. I go, yeah, go on the internet and look up controlled remote viewing. So that's what I kept trying to remember that, controlled remote viewing, controlled remote viewing. So when I got home, I looked it up and I stumbled upon a website that had been put there by Lynn Buchanan. And um, it was, it just sort of like all the, all the chorus of angels started singing and I could just knew this is the answer I've been looking for. So I, with great trepidation, wrote an email to Lynn Buchanan, who responded very graciously and found myself having to travel the very next week uh, to within 40 miles of where Lynn lived. And I got stuck over the weekend back then. And so long story short, I ended up at Lynn's house uh, with him and his wife. We talked for five hours. And it was rather funny, though, because after I left, his wife looked up and said, Lynn, you have to stop inviting these crazy people to our house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, that's that was 1996. So I guess that's... that's... <laughs> <laughs> he, said, I, he said the reason that, that they thought I might have a screw loose was because he said they thought I was 25 and I was talking about having seven children and a grandchild. So they thought that I had this imaginary family <laughs> because how could this 25-year-old girl have seven children and a grandbaby? But I was actually almost 40 uh, at the time. So I, I, I guess I had the blessing of looking younger than I, when I actually was. But uh, I'm catching up to that now, though. I don't look as young as I used to. No, it's... But, uh... You know, it's yeah. a, it's a it's a it's a one hell of a ride there, and, and it's funny that just without it, it, I I'm only getting all these details with you right now as we're speaking, but I as I told the audience before, I grabbed a thumbnail from the movie The Men Who Stare at Goats, and I put it as the thumbnail for tonight's show. Uh, so the the fact that you bring this up and there is actually a direct link with that movie is uh, is is something else. I was just trying to be in the arena of the 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 kind of atmosphere we we're creating for the conversation tonight. Um, you know, another another you're you're talking about. Um, you're talking about Lynn Buchanan and going out and seminars and talking with people and, and, and pretty much trying to get people a little bit more understanding of what capabilities they have and what skills can be honed and developed. E ever spend any time at the Monroe Institute? Um, uh, my husband and I have visited the Monroe Institute. We would love to do one of their programs. We just, our schedule is very, very tight now because we have thousands of students and we have so many programs for those students. But, um, you know, when I met Lynn Buchanan um, and started studying with him, 
I knew from day one that I have to teach this. I'm meant to teach this someday. You know, I just automatically knew that. At the time, I was the director of a refugee resettlement program, very involved in helping rescue refugees from all over the world from war-torn places. But I still knew that at some point, I just knew that one day I would be, I would be teaching this this thing. You know, and so when. Um, so as time went on, you know, Lynn also really caught the bug thinking, yeah, I need to train her to to take over the torch at some point, you know. Um, and so I just trained with him very intensely. And he and his wife moved from Maryland out to um, close by. They, they were only six hours away when I was living in Texas. And now they're three hours away. But, but they were uh, living in Alamogordo, New Mexico. And so I would go there and just train with them all the time and drive out there. Uh, and then at, in 1999, Lynn introduced me to Melvin Riley. Um, and Mel tells the story of the introduction uh, as a foreword to my book, Boundless, which is kind of you know fun that, that Mel tells the story from his perspective in that foreword. Um, but he, Mel just turned out to become like really a, like a best friend. Lynn, I considered, you know, what up there on the mountain teaching me. And Mel became like a good buddy that I could turn to about anything and talk to him. And he was a very mystical, very deep person um, and was kind of raised by the Ho-Chunk nation. And uh, even though he didn't have a drop of Native American blood in him, he grew up like a Native American and they highly respected by the tribe considered a full brother by the tribe. And so a lot of his training before he got into the military was being raised by the Ho-Chunk and a very deeply spiritual tribe. And then when he got into the unit, he was he has the notoriety of being the very first remote viewer asked to be in the unit and when it was first formed. He was there for four years and then spent four years doing reconnaissance and they they would use him for his psychic abilities because he could take a satellite photo and, and and it would have a picture of a truck that had a tarp over it and he would describe whatever was under the truck uh, under the tarp and and it would be correct wow um so his gifts were amazing and uh and for whatever reason he he took a liking to me and it was funny because Lynn said, wow, Mel, Mel really likes you. And I was like, well, what's not to like? You know, <laughs> he said, no, you don't understand. Mel doesn't like anyone. <laughs> well, you know, so, you got you got to be very protective. Um, you got to be very protective. And I guess you have to be a lot of very suspicious of people. And especially if you're if you've gained the trust of any any Native American tribe around here, you're probably carrying perspective from totally different cultures that that exist in the same space and i think that that's another really awesome i'm i'm so glad that you said that this is a this is part of the story here because i always wonder about things like you know the the methods the we have to talk about the the nuts and bolts of remote viewing um uh, obviously we talked a little bit about the history of psychic warfare and all that stuff but as far as methods and, and equipment go you have these native american and more shamanistic cultures whatever that that are they're using just almost more primitive nature-based ritual to be able to open up doorways to other worlds and dimensions or to to remote view and then on the other side we have this technocratic idea of chronovisors and montauk chairs and stargates and i, I wonder what's the you know it, it does is any method more um uh i don't know efficient than the other 
to rely on well, the technology or just my of course i'm prejudiced because i love controlled remote viewing which is a written structured way to separate imagination from true psychic perceptions and all other methods can be incorporated into the crv structure and it's just been phenomenal the information um, that not only i've gotten but that my viewers have been able to obtain using this methodology and of course i'm familiar with things like tarot cards and crystal balls and palm reading and psychometry and all these different things but I found that forgetting great amount of detail and being able to actually um, actually database the information that you get so that you have a track record for accuracy and inaccuracy, then, you know, I mean, that makes it a science. I mean, and I, I guess I can't really say that makes it a science. It's based on brain science. It was de developed, uh, you know, basically kind of almost in a laboratory, so to speak. And, and so when you think about it, it's, it's a wonderful way to help the understanding the brain processes and the way the right and left brain interact, the way the conscious mind interacts with subconscious, and then creating a, a written methodology that you don't have to go into a trance or do anything too woo-woo, and you can actually remote view something far removed from you in time and space, which turns it into a time machine, by the way. Oh. You know, you know, so yeah. that's is is phenomenal and i've been doing this now you know for 23 25 years something and it's just it's i've never lost my fascination with it because it's so amazing uh and you you know we don't ever want to lose our sense of wonder right no. but you can't it's just so phenomenal so i'm i'm a little biased in in you know if you say which is the best method i'm biased with, with crv because and i'm familiar with a lot of other things but i feel that crv is the the kind of the granddaddy it's kind of like the basket that can hold all the other ones um, um, however i do want to say that i feel that every method that can be used out there is all drawing from the same idea that we as humans we are all psychic and we're plugged into this great big cosmic database in the sky where we can access all information of everything that ever was everything that is and everything that will be um so so this is something that and i've, I've had people say this before this is something i've watched ted talks about it uh, about remote viewing that can be learned by anybody this is not like you're you're identified early as a jedi and you have the ability whereas other people don't we all have the ability to learn this and to to use it with great accuracy exactly and i actually saw where someone put a comment on social media and said why would i want to why in the world would i ever want to control my psychic ability <laughs> i was like well i mean you think about tiger woods you know i mean he had to have he had to have golfing lessons. You know, it wasn't like he just suddenly became a champion, like woke up one morning and was a champion. Uh, he had to have golfing lessons. If you are a concert pianist playing in Carnegie Hall, you didn't get there just because you have natural talent. You had to have training and you had to practice. And so I feel that, you know, if you feel like you're naturally psychic, why in the world wouldn't you want to train and hone it so that you could use it on demand to improve your family life, your relationships, your finances, your career? You know, why wouldn't we want to do that? That we would be crazy not to. I think for a lot of people who are listening to it um, or hear this, uh, it, it takes on almost a, uh, it becomes a challenge to a religion. 
it becomes a, t- a challenge to a lot of those different. It, it almost like splits allegiances between trusting in in God, and um, and but and I always had that kind of a that I wrestled that thought too because I'm I, I'm Christian, and I uh, but I also wonder about no, I mean if we're created this way, then there must be some sort of a. Uh, a, a reason and it, and to be able to look into it and be able to use it in some kind of a beneficial way that doesn't harm anyone or put ourselves in any kind of danger as well. I mean, the, the tool is always the indifferent thing. It's always whoever's going to use the tool. So that's what I, I wonder about. And, and then, of course, it's just the whole idea of leaving your body. It just, it just invokes... Oh, no, but, but you don't leave your body with CRB. Not at all. You don't. This is not like no, out. No, I, I actually have two blogs that address exactly what you just said. One blog is called How to Talk to Devout Christians About CRV. Because as a former missionary, a former Christian missionary, I spent 20 years on the mission field. I don't find any conflict between CRV and Christianity whatsoever. Uh, I think it, they, they, they actually, I mean, if you look at the Bible, I have so much of the Bible memorized. That's what we did on the mission field. We memorized the Bible. And I tell you what, I mean, the Bible is a very mystical book with a lot of paranormal in it. I mean, Jesus met the woman at the well and told her all about herself and said, bring me your husband. And she said, I have no husband. And he said, no, you've had seven husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she ran and told everyone, oh, come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. So Jesus essentially gave her a psychic reading. I mean, if you want to put it in, in common vernacular, um, you know, the, the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, Mary, you're 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 blessed with a child, you know, um, th- through paranormal means. I mean, supernatural means. You're going to be giving birth to a child, not having had sexual relations with a man. So, you know, if you think about the Bible and how completely supernatural it was, and there are prophecies about the very time we're living in now that says in the latter days, in the book of Joel, it says in the latter days, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall see visions, your young men shall dream dreams. So it's really prophesying that there would be a surge of intuitive ability. There is that surge. There is that surge going on because uh, whereas some more people are being drawn into themselves and asking those deeper questions and going on these 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 journeys and developing themselves in ways that they always thought was, you know, very traditional and retrograde and there's no need for it anymore. Well, a lot of people are reverting and they are taking it very seriously, whereas others are are descending into absolute chaos and and taking their hands off the wheel altogether. I mean, there's just madness in other parts of society. So it, it is crazy to see people taking that fork in the road. Um, you, before you you were talking about how this uh, controlled remote viewing will allow you to do anything in all of or go places, time and space. You brought up. I want to talk about that, but first I want to ask you a question about just spatially i have been told over and over again that um even this you know even the sky is in the limit is not the limit with remote viewing you can remote view anywhere but my question to you is how do you establish locality of your target for example if you are a new york native and you've never left new york but you you are you're honing your skills and you're you're talented remote viewer you have a lot of potential and you want to go see the great pyramid of giza how are you getting there especially if you have no aeronautical experience how do you get there how do you how do you you know establish locality of anywhere you want to be 
Well, first of all, we don't leave our body. And I, I mentioned that there were two blogs that addressed what you were talking about. One of them is called, what is the difference between OBE, out of body experience, and CRV, controlled remote viewing? Because we don't leave our bodies in CRV. Okay. So if you think about it, if you think about um, radio signals, for example, they, they go from the planet, from the earth, up through the atmosphere, and they bounce off on the outer edge of the atmosphere and come back down, right? I mean, that they're bouncing around the planet. Um, and so when they first developed radio, they were like, wow, we can bounce these signals and hear people all around the, the, the globe, right? So think about that in a more spiritual way. And you think about humans and our subconscious mind being kind of plugged into God or plugged into spirit or plugged into the great big cosmic database. And so in a way, when we are asking for to be able to see something, the Pyramid of Giza, what we do is is essentially it's like the conscious mind is like the the interviewer the reporter and the subconscious mind is it, it just kind of bounces it's so fast lightning fast so the interviewer says oh uh, tell me about the pyramid of giza boom suddenly there's inner information coming in now there are different types of remote viewing just as there are different types of martial arts right we have we if you said i'm a black belt in martial arts i would say what sort of martial arts and you'd say oh, taekwondo or karate it's the same thing with remote viewing there are types of remote viewing that are like tools in a toolbox like the difference between a hammer and a screwdriver and so with controlled remote viewing it's essentially an interview and report methodology that's written so that you could give the police a written report so they can find the missing child, so to speak. But um, there are other types of remote viewing, like extended remote viewing, where you are in a rather hypnagogic state. And sometimes really advanced remote viewers, while doing a session like the Pyramid of Giza, since that's your example, then that can kind of get into this state and actually kind of feel like they're really seeing it. They're there, they're experiencing the smells, the temperatures, the breeze blowing on their face, et cetera. They can feel the crumbliness of the, of the stones on the pyramid, et cetera. Um, they can move back through time when the pyramid was being built and watch it get built and see how it was built and move to the technology that was used to build it, et cetera, et cetera. And so, we actually use a series of what we call move commands and action cues. Action cues cause the viewer to interact with the target, like mentally lick the target taste. We, so we use these cues and we use them in a very neutral manner so that we're not injecting uh, information to the viewer. We want the viewer to be giving us information. We don't want to pollute the viewer. Like, are there any smells there? You know, we want to, we want to let the viewer describe. And our first mantra is, describe, don't identify. Hmm. And so for that reason, when we really need information and we want it to be pure, the best thing is to make sure that the viewer is blind to the target. The viewer doesn't know what they're remote viewing. That way, because if I said to you, hey, Frank, um, there's a criminal on the loose. I want you to remote view the criminal. Well, the fact that I use the word criminal, all of a sudden you have a ton of stereotypes that you may, you may not even be aware of attached to the word criminal. And so you might say, oh, well, the criminal is kind of ethnic and he's violent and he's drug addicted and he's pockmarked and he's, you might go into all this stuff. And it turns out that the criminal is actually the little old lady who's been embezzling from the company for 50 years. You know, so 
Um, so in order to avoid that kind of pollution, we want the viewer to be totally blind to the target. And if any information is given to the viewer, we want the remote viewer to be given information that is neutral. So if you needed a description of a criminal, if you were a policeman and you needed a description of a criminal, the best thing to tell the viewer if the viewer needed a little bit of information would be the target is a person. Describe the person. Hmm. That way you're eliminating all the things you know associated with criminal. Um, and so we try to keep things very minimal if we share anything with the viewer. It's it, it's still a little bit fuzzy to me how, how you can, and I understand, I mean, you, you spent years doing this, and you said that one of the biggest things um, I'm sure that, or I, I'm saying that, I'm, one of the, I'm sure that one of the things that people mostly ask you about is, uh, okay, well, prove it. How does one prove uh, to themselves that what they're experiencing is not just their imagination. I mean, even if you leave out all anything that is any kind of descriptor that is bias inducing or prejudice inducing in one way or another, and you're just giving them the the picture of the Great Pyramid. Uh, how how do you know? Here's how we do it. Here's how we do it. So first of all, when we have new trainees coming in who've mm -hmm. never done it, kind of remote viewing, and and actually I. This is the reason that I created a free class on my website. Because if, let's say I did a session for you right now in front of you, and I really just described the target perfectly, and I had no way of knowing what it was because you chose it and you put it in an envelope, and I don't know what it is. Even if I did it beautifully, you'd be like, well, that's Lori. You know, she's probably, you know, super good at this because she's been doing it a long time or whatever. So the only way to really convince someone is for them to do it themselves. So thinking along those lines, I thought, well, what I need to do is I need to create a free class where people can take a, a you know, an introductory masterclass for remote viewing and actually do it themselves because then they'll know it's not a trick, you know, because I'm not tricking myself, right? So I'll know it's not a trick. So that was my goal in creating this free masterclass, which is available to all your listeners on intuitivespecialist.com, which is my website. Um, but the thing about it is that it's, it's, it's amazing when you do it yourself and when you are using it on a target that has provable feedback. So for example, the Pyramid of Giza exists in Egypt. If I have a photograph of the Pyramid of Giza and I put it in an envelope and I say, hey Frank, there's something in this envelope, I would like you to remote view it and describe it to me. And I give you, you know, and I'm teaching you the actual structure of CRV, which kind of guides you through a process to help help get you there. It doesn't tell you anything about the target. It's a process designed to kind uh -huh. of separate separate conscious from subconscious and that sort of thing. And, and so you're doing this process and you say, well, there I'm at this location and there's this big structure in front of me and it's kind of triangular shaped and it's kind of a browning color and it's rough textured. It feels kind of crumbly when I touch it and it's kind of hot and dry here. And I'm, the ground is very sandy. And you don't have a clue that you're at the Pyramid of Giza. You know I would I, mean? I would at that point. <laughs> you would at that point. But uh, but the funny thing is, at the, the minute you start, you start having ideas like, oh, what's it going to be? Is it going to be a volcano? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? And you start having these ideas because your conscious mind is very helpful and says, I know, Frank, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is. So, like, if I had, if let's say I had something in an envelope and you said, I think whatever you have in your envelope is red smooth and shiny i bet it's an apple and then you pull it out and it's a fire engine you know which is also red smooth and shiny the the problem with a lot of psychics or trying to do psychic stuff 
is that we're addicted to nouns and we want to name and identify everything. The identifying part of our brain is the left part of our brain. And so it's the one always raising its hand and saying, and it will pull out a noun, but the nouns are frequently incorrect. And nouns are like a walnut. You open up the walnut, it's full of meat, right? It's full of yummy stuff that you can eat, but um, it's information inside that walnut. And instead, we just want to call it a walnut. <laughs> you know, we just want to say, hey, there's a walnut, instead of opening it and pulling out the information. So what we do is we have a whole process for setting aside left brain stuff from right brain stuff because the right brain is the psychic part of you and your subconscious is the psychic part of you. Your left brain and your conscious mind zero psychic ability so so because of that we actually teach you a, a written method that helps you separate that non-psychic stuff that's coming in from the true psychic information and then when you're all done and you say okay here's what i think is at the target i think there's this big triangular structure that is brown and rough and this and this and this and this and it's in this very sandy hot location uh, and you give me this thorough description and you've written it all down then I say, okay, here's your feedback. And you open it up and you pull out a, period, a picture of the pyramid. That's your solid feedback. That's when you become convinced that you actually just did this. Because you up till then, you were just sharing random words maybe. But then once you open it and you go, oh my gosh, I just described it really thoroughly and really accurately. That's when you have that aha moment and you go, oh, and then, and then, And then, of course, the ability to repeat that is... Yeah. Okay. Well, and then I can I can see how you start building up a a record, a win and loss build record, up a track record. Exactly. Yeah. And we have a database for our students. So our our students actually we have thousands of, of of sessions in the database now. So let's say that you're one of my students and you've been putting your sessions in the database, and we now know that you have let's say a ninety five percent accuracy rate in describing colors accurately. Okay. And you've done it over a hundred sessions. And they've all had provable hard feedback, what we call hard feedback, because it's solid, like like my water bottle is solid, right? It's a solid feedback. It's not like something woo-woo or uh, like if I said, Frank, I want you to describe the, the grays on the planet Zircon in the galaxy of nebulae or something. And you said, oh, and you start giving me this long thing. Well, how, you know, who's guess? I mean, you could just be making stuff up, right? You could be completely deluding yourself and me. And we wouldn't know unless you had a really solid track record on provable targets. So if, for example, uh, a scientist approached me and said, we have found a, a star that's very much like our star with planets very much like the planet circling our star. And we want to know what the sixth planet from the sun, what color it is. And you have a 95% accuracy rate in colors and you say, I think it's purple. Well, then we have a we can ninety five percent believe you because you have such a great track record. That's database. I got you there. And so okay, so that's gonna that's gonna be useful for a couple other questions I have coming up. Now that's spatially, and I can this is all I'm I'm following along just fine right now. But when you say time now, it's a much bigger subject for me to to crack open. I, I mean, I listened to an interview done with Joseph McMonagall. Uh, a couple of years ago, he was talking about time in that interview, and he said that it's not only possible, but accurate outside of the boundaries of time, remote viewing, he was talking about. Now, you obviously agree with that. So my question is, how does one pinpoint a moment in time as opposed to, you know, viewing into the bodega down the street? Um, and, and, and and more so as a, as a second half of that, how do you know you actually saw the construction of the pyramids 
when there's no way to really so well yeah that's what it looked like everybody has a theory about how the the pyramids came together so this is where i start getting uh you know a little bit more where the hell you go from here yeah. well that's that's where the track record comes in because if i if you if you just walked in off the street never having remote viewed before and you said oh my gosh i moved to when the pyramids were being built and here's what i saw i wouldn't probably take what you said very seriously because you don't have a track record to show me where are your strengths and where are your weaknesses you see what i'm saying so you could just have a really great imagination and just be making stuff up right mm-hmm. so the only way we can put any credence in something that you're viewing that we we have to have solid feedback because without the feedback how do we know and we have to build that up over a period of time with practice with a viewer so we know that viewer's strengths and weaknesses and that we can also tell that that viewer has a really great track record in certain areas of description. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so that if you're viewing the bodega down the street and and you you describe it to me, I can walk down the street into that bodega. I can take photos of it and we can compare that with what you just told me you thought was in the bodega. And then if we say, wow, you nailed this, Frank, you totally described and sketched what truly is in that bodega right now. Because I can walk down the street right now and actually be in the bodega and that's feedback, right? That's proof that you did describe it. Um, now, when it comes to something in the past, like the building of the pyramids, again, like your guess is as good as mine. And the only credence we can put or the only belief we can put in what you get about how the pyramids were built is based on a knowledge and a database record of your strengths and your weaknesses. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then we have something to base it on. So there are some companies out there, or I don't know if you could call them companies or people, whatever, who claim that they are teaching remote viewing. And what they do is they'll have students come in who pay them, and then they just basically say, close your eyes and tell me what's on the planet Zircon, you know, and and the students will have this, oh, I'm euphoric, and I'm seeing this and I'm seeing that. And then they walk out thinking, oh, I just remote viewed the planet Zircon. But they have. There's no proof what you know that what they're saying isn't just fantasy, and so our school is very much science based, and we're based on provable. You know, we want to base everything on provable, solid feedback and databasing. On the other so hand, though, on the other hand, though, you're talking about uh, the psychic warfare of the 20th century, and how the, I've read plenty of accounts of people who have accurately been able to sketch out what they have seen as russian installations one place or another or any other kind of installation or 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 location that had been pinpointed uh to startling pretty impressive uh you know degrees of accuracy so um getting away from the ancient past let's just get back to the whole idea of how do you pinpoint a period in time or or a place that is not too far away and uh, and is verifiable Right. So the key to everything, and I actually taught a class on this called how to ask the right question. If you don't have it clear in your mind what you need to know, if you're the person with the question and you want a remote viewer to solve something for you or to answer a question or describe something for you, if you don't have it clear in your mind, then you're going to get mud you know, as, as a response. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, the question is, is key. I'll tell you a quick a quick example of this. I had a guy who said, well, I'm trying to decide whether I should stay in my current job, take a job with a competitor across town, or just open my own business and do it for myself. 
And I said, that's not your question. This is the problem is that you're not asking the right question. Because first you have to figure out why do I even want to change jobs in the first place? You know, what, what, what's your reason? Are you unhappy? Do you want to make more money? Do you feel like you're unfulfilled? Get to the core of why you're asking this question. And then the question would be, what can I do? I need a description of, of the job that will make me the happiest, if that's your goal, or make me feel the most fulfilled, or bring me the most money between now and six months from now, or between now and a year from now. And you actually have to frame it very carefully, write it all down, put that into an envelope, and you don't actually have to put it in an envelope, but you don't want the viewer to see that. And then you would then frame the, the thing for the viewer as, for example, the target is a situation, describe the target. Um, does that make sense? Yes. We, we also had a situation in which something very dire was predicted by a remote viewing group, not, not my group or my students, but this was several years back, many years back. Um, they, they said, oh, this terrible dire thing, I don't want to get into a lot of details because I don't want to embarrass anyone, but this terrible dire thing will happen on this date. And they actually put a date on it. And uh, a number of people contacted me and were quite alarmed and wanted to take some pretty serious action to, for example, move and get away from you know an area that might be affected. And I responded with, it's not going to happen on the date. And they said, how do you know? And I said, because I just know. But then I said, I will, I will have my top viewers and I will blind task them. And so what I did was I took a group of my top most professional viewers and I gave them key locations. They did not know that I was giving them these locations, but with each viewer, I assigned a location that was supposedly gonna be threatened by this event that was supposed to occur. And I said, okay, you've each been assigned a location and uh, I would like for you to view that location in present time right now and describe, just go to the, like the center of this location, like a center street or whatever, and view and just say, you know, just describe what's happening. Well, all of the viewers, there were like, I think eight or 10, all said, everything's normal. Nothing weird is going on. Okay, great. Move three months into the future and tell me what's happening. Everything's normal. Great. So I did that in three month increments for two years into the future. And the only thing that came up was that in, in 2019, I believe in June, in Corpus Christi and in Houston, there was going to be heavy rains and some flooding, which did end up happening. And that was like a year and a half into the future at the time. So my, my point is that you can move viewers around in time quite easily because the mind, the subconscious mind is, is completely unlimited. That's why my book is called Boundless. You know, boundless, your how-to guide to practical remote viewing, because the mind is boundless and you don't really understand it until you experience it. And time is not at all what we think time is. I, and we, yeah. reality is not what we think it is either. So you can imagine me coming from a very um, binary belief system because Christianity is quite binary, if you think about it. It's God and the devil, you know, heaven and hell. It's quite binary. And I was, you know, very devoted missionary for 20 years. And so for the first probably 10 years of me being involved in controlled remote viewing, you know, I was locked into a lot of um, limiting beliefs that eventually got kind of blown open by experiences that I had while remote viewing that kind of didn't defy or in any way betray 
Christianity, but more amplified it. Like God was a lot bigger than I had ever imagined him. You know, God is not only the God of this little planet, but God has created a massive universe. And uh, and who knows what other beings are also existing in this universe? Because I actually had a problem with UFOs. I mean, I was just like, I don't know about this whole UFO thing. Well, I don't the, know if I. I, I was going to ask you about that today, today too, because you know that we had this whole the uh, the UFO hearings. Now, I, I have a problem with government, and when the you know anything that I am interested in, once government and media are suddenly interested in, I suddenly have to ch check myself and say am i still interested in it uh, do i you know how you know what is being corrupted before me and what is being changed we have to get to that but before we do um on what you just said right there see uh, the thing that i am is uh I i'm i'm starting to to realize a lot more because coming into this i'm thinking remote viewing you have to get when i watch for example, Stranger Things or anything else like that, you have the main character, Eleven, who has to put herself into a, uh, a tub of salt water and prepare a room to be able to see things, and she gets into this trance-like state, and all of a sudden, she's off. Um, and then when I talk to somebody who is, um, who, who is an expert in out-of-body experiences or anything like that, we get, we get uh, the, the, these... Um, these really intricate breakdowns of how to induce paralysis and then of course there is the rumbling and the vibrations that rising then you shoot out of your body and learning how to fly around but this is nothing like that it sounds it's uh, i mean do you you don't even it sounds like you don't even have to get yourself into a an unconscious or a hypnotic state though you say in some cases you can but it doesn't even it doesn't even seem like it's that no, and that's why it's so versatile. Because, I mean, I've had OBEs my whole life. I've had out-of-body experiences my entire life. And they are so different from CRV when I do a CRV session. Totally different. Not, not in any way similar. But the great thing about CRV is that it's more controlled. Because when you shoot out of your body and you're flying around, um, I mean, you, you, it's, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. I, I love it. But um, with CRV, this is an aimed thing. You know, it's like very controlled. So um, when the guys were in the unit, and you talked about earlier, you said there were some guys who drew these Russian installations. They were amazingly accurate, right? Those men, most of them had training. They didn't just do that first rattle out of the box a lot of times. You know, they'd been practicing on practice targets first that were chosen and, you know, that they had to remote view pretty often with, I mean, these guys, this was their job, eight hours days a week, right? So they had to do that and they got a lot of training. Um, so they didn't just walk in off the street and suddenly do this amazing thing. Um, I just wanted to clarify that for people because a lot of people get this expectation that the first time remote viewing session, it's gonna be like, ah, and they're gonna have this complete holistic vision of the target, um, especially because it's called remote viewing yeah. instead instead of remote sensing, you know, because we do. Uh, there's a fascinating story. Um, there was this one remote viewer in the unit who's was doing a practice target, and the practice target was a uh, was a race in South with these special longboats that go in very shallow water. And the, the, there's a guy in the back steering with a stick, 
and there's a guy in the front who's on his hands and knees looking into the water because the water is full of boulders. And so he's like telling the guy which way to steer to, to maneuver around the boulders and, and who can get to the finish line first. So that was the target, was this event, this race. And the viewer is describing everything that's going on and then says to the monitor, I'm hearing sounds, and the sounds sound like a human voice saying, Recha, Recha, Skerda, Skerda. Well, this this viewer didn't speak a word of Spanish, but in but this was taking place in South America, and derecha and izquierda means right and left in Spanish. I'm fluent in Spanish, but uh, you know, so it means to the right or to the left. So he's telling the guy, go to the right, go to the left in Spanish, and this viewer who's viewing this event years after the event took place is hearing this guy and able to repeat the sounds of the words the man is saying. Years later. And years later. Wow. Now that that's you know, and and I had a, another experience where I was teaching someone from Homeland Security, the course one on one, and on the third day of my teaching this person, the target was a picture was a, an old photograph from National Geographic from like a 1963 National Geographic or something, and it was a young Jane Goodall the the ape lady, mm-hmm. she's in the forest she's got brown hair she's very young and she's wearing you know Bermuda shorts and a white top. And she's she's kneeling and she's got this chimpanzee in front of her and she's holding the chimpanzee's finger with one hand and then with the other hand she's offering the chimpanzee some food. And this remote viewer who was just on her third day of class ever described Jane Goodall to a T and what she was wearing, what her hair looked like, um, and then starts describing the chimpanzee and says that Jane Goodall was holding something cylindrical and rubbery, which would be the finger of the chimpanzee, and offering the chimpanzee something that she interpreted as food. But behind Jane Goodall was a you know a canvas roof on four poles, and underneath this this roof was a picnic table that had a tablecloth on it and some equipment. So the remote viewer goes, I think there's a house behind her. And I said, well, move into that, which you perceive as a house. And she goes, oh, it has no walls because it was just a roof with four poles. She goes, oh, it has no walls. And I said, well, move up and look down and describe, you know, move up underneath the, you know, that which you're perceiving as a roof. She said, oh, and she starts sketching this little design. She said, I feel like I'm looking at linoleum or something. And she sketches this design. Anyway, when she's all done, I'm thinking she's going to be so thrilled at how well she described Jane Goodall in the eighth. She was totally unimpressed by that. But she said, oh, my God, look, look, I drew the exact pattern that's on the tablecloth. I drew the pattern on the tablecloth. That means that means I was actually there. I was there. I was actually there. I said, well, I don't want to freak you out. But not only were you there, but you were there 50 years ago. See, okay. Now, now, now you got to stop right there. We have we have to jump into this. Are, now, are you merely a ghost observer when you are in this kind of a situation, or is there something more immersive about the experience? Um, well, let me let me ask you a question. When you watch a movie that really get it draws you in, and you're totally a hundred percent engrossed in the movie, you almost forget your surroundings, right? Because mm-hmm. you're so immersed in the movie. But do you feel like you're a ghost? No, because you're watching it on a screen, and there's a part of you that knows you're not really there right right so that that's how it is it's like you're experiencing it and sometimes it can feel extremely real i'm going to tell you about a personal experience that i had that was really life-changing for me i was working on a kidnapping case so this was not a practice target this was an actual kidnapping that took place 
and it took place in a foreign country. So I'm remote viewing. It's nighttime. It's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm, I'm in my study, my little remote viewing room, and my husband is my monitor. And the monitor is basically there to keep the viewer safe and keep, you know, to occasionally say things like, oh, could you write that down? Uh, would you like to tell me what's happening right now? <laughs> you know, would you like to move to the thing you just mentioned? So that's the viewer's job. The viewer's job, is, I mean, the monitor's job is just to keep the viewer, you know, do you need something to drink? Would you like to take a break? That sort of thing. And so the, uh, so my husband's there and I'm, I'm really, this is like my third or fourth time moving to this kidnapping situation over a period of weeks. And so I'm viewing in real time. I'm not viewing the past. I'm not viewing the future. I'm viewing, I'm trying to view this victim, this kidnap victim in real time. And I discover that the, the victim is underground in a, in a building that's completely underground. And it's, there's a hallway and there's doors and, and this victim is in one of these little cells and there are, there's a person in every cell. So this victim is not the only kidnap victim. It happens to be the one I'm assigned to view, but there I discover other vi kidnap victims. And there's a man in a chair in the hallway um, and so I asked the man, you know, I start communicating with this man, but it's completely subconscious. So it's a nonverbal communication, but I understand that this person is the guard in the hallway and that this guard is a nice person, married, has kids, you know, not a, not a nasty, horrible person. So as I'm really linking with this guard, I'm wondering why, why would you be kidnapping? Why are you? What's the deal with kidnapping all these people? And the guard, and I get this name in a for in Spanish, a long name, like kind of like the the Symbionese Liberation Army type of a name in mm -hmm. a foreign language, and says, "Oh, because we're we are the blah blah blah," and and I suddenly have an instant understanding of their complete ideology, right? So I'm so immersed in communicating with this person that I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And I looked at my husband and I said we might be on the wrong side of this thing. And my husband looked at me and said, hmm, does someone need to detox? <laughs> because I was like suddenly, like suddenly feeling sympathetic to the, to the kidnappers, you know, which it would not be my normal way of doing things. And so I was kind of shocked because I realized I had gotten so immersed and so connected to this person that I really understood the ideology and the beliefs and everything without any words being exchanged other than the name. And so I actually sent that name to the investigators who had never heard of this group. They investigated and that group existed right where the person was kidnapped. And then we eventually became known that that was the group that actually kidnapped the person. So that name came to me through remote viewing and connecting with this guard. And were the victims recovered? No. The, the, it turned out, according to what I understand, the investigative party had someone that was playing both sides of the fence. And would, because we would the, the, we'd send information, the investigators would get there. There was complete evidence that they had just split. They just left. But they found the, right. place, they found the place exactly as you described it, the, the underground yes. cells, everything. Everything. Yes. And another thing, too, that happened was that um, from an aerial view, I sketched out where the where buildings were, where there was a water tower. There were these weird diagonal lines behind this one long building. And uh, and so I while I'm really connected to this guard, um, my husband says, uh, can can you ask the guard? Like, is there any kind of a town nearby? Because this was way out in the country. And I'm seeing this hill with these lights on it. And the guard is pointing and saying that's, and it gives me the name of that village. 
and then the and then my husband says where's the moon in relation to because i was viewing in real time and it was a full moon and so i pointed to where the moon was while still pointing and it was almost like i was like in this guy's space so much that i was actually moving my body and saying here's the hill here's the moon and and so um we went on google earth to try to find this village and we couldn't find it it's really tiny and the next day my husband walks in from work he was at that time working a day job and he walks in and he says i found it i found it and i said what did you find he said i found the name of this village on a map and i said show me and he said i went to a map specialty shop he said because if you said it i knew it had to be there <laughs> which is wonderful to have that kind of belief in me but he found this amazing map of and he found that village and we went on google earth then because we had the latitude and longitude and there it was laid out exactly the water tower the buildings the diagonal lines everything exactly as i had sketched it wow and then they yeah so this is it's really a powerful tool. Controlled remote viewing is a very powerful tool, uh, but it's like a martial art, and it takes discipline and practice. And well, the, know, the thing that the, the thing that's a little concerning, and I guess this gets into another. I have a couple of questions about per, the inherent dangers, if there are any. I mean, when you when you say that you are you're, you're signed on to, for a, a a kidnapping case, and you not only find the victim, but you find other victims in what seems like is a, a a prison for human trafficking, and you go and you connect with a guard to try to get more intel, and that connection actually imparts sympathetic emotions into you. Uh, obviously, these are not sympathetic people at all. I mean, anybody who anybody who uh, rationalizes, it, it, whether they have a family at home or not, if they rationalize that, oh, it's just a job, but there you are overseeing people who have been imprisoned uh, and are being sold or whatever the hell else, that's not a good person. But you felt this this sympathetic connection build involuntarily just because you were in there? Right, because when you connect with someone subconsciously, then you are seeing reality through their eyes, not through your own eyes, right? So you're seeing things as they see it, and therefore you're, it can, you know, you're like if I feel, if I'm seeing Saddam Hussein and I'm looking through his eyes, then genocide makes total sense because, you know, that's what he, that's the way he believed, right? And this man that I was sympathizing with was a guard who really believed in the cause and felt like, uh, you know the the means were necessary to achieve the end. And, you know what I mean. To so, achieve their, so that their would be that would be an inherent danger. How long does that the how long does that filthy feeling stay on you after you after you pull back from well, that? Yeah. Well, when my that's why another reason we have a monitor. And I, I did write a book on monitoring, by the way. Uh, that's called monitoring. It's the name of the book. But the um, the reason that it is. It, that's why you have a monitor there because the, like my husband said oh does someone need to detox and we do a pretty thorough teaching on how to detox so that you don't bring saddam hussein with you home <laughs> from work you know what i mean uh so that that's the goal is is to you have to know how to detox and how to thoroughly separate yourself from someone you might have connected with at the target but i do want to say that most viewers it's very rare that a viewer uh, you have to get really, really good at this before you get to the point where you could connect with someone that that you know in that deep of a way. So I've been doing this for how many years now? You know, since 1996, and so of course, you know, now I've developed these means to connect with people very deeply. But I also know how to detox from that, so that I don't carry this around with me. 
Um, and that's really important as well. I mean, I have nine children and 22 grandkids and a beautiful two-year-old great-grandchild. So I sure don't want to be bringing, you know, nasty people home to, you know. No, definitely not. don't want anything inhabiting me. So it's not like getting demon-possessed. It's more like having a connection with someone. You have this momentary connection and you really can get kind of drawn into that. But then you can also hang up the phone, you know, and go go for a walk, go get a massage, go play some music, dance, watch your favorite movie, you know, and, and disconnect from all that by immersing yourself back into your own reality and okay. make, yeah, making sure that you're really separating from that. Well, I have, I have a, I have a small list of questions here that are I gotta get them in, and I so I don't know if you want to. Maybe we can do almost like a, a not not necessarily a speed round, but we have about ten fifteen minutes left um, before I have to start taking super chats and, and wrapping up a little bit. But th- this is so rich. I mean, obviously, Laura, you and I can go for a couple more hours easily, obviously. But yeah. my, uh, for the first question I have for you is. Is there any sensory ways for a person, especially if you know you know about the craft and all that stuff, what you're doing, um, is there any way to detect that you are being remote viewed? You know, if you, I mean, what if you were a little bit more of a wise to this kind of, um, this, this kind of talent, um, I, I don't want to equate you to the, the prison guard, but let's just say just some other target of interest. Is there any way to detect somebody is here, let alone not only just hear from maybe across the country, hear from 50 years in the future? I mean, you're talking about Jane. Love, I would love to talk to you about this because I get letters from people who are terrified that they are being remote viewed. And so, uh, Frank, it's really interesting because, first of all, I want everyone to know that to be able to accurately remote view another person who is removed from you in time and space is it takes a great deal of talent and it takes a great deal of effort. It's not something that a person who has a life and who has children and grandchildren is going to want to do just for a lark, let's say. You know what I mean? Like, huh, I think I'll go check on what Frank's doing tonight. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be a voyeur. That's exactly so, what I'm thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> so how many how many voyeurs are out there? Okay, so what, I, what people have to realize is, number one, remote viewers have lives and they have better things to do. And so when people go, but I know I'm being remote viewed. Okay, well, do you have, are you carrying military secrets? You know, are you carrying state secrets? Do you have some sort of important knowledge that makes you a target that you, you would be being remote viewed? Because if not, you're probably suffering from some sort of narcissistic paranoia. I'm, I mean, I, that sounds cruel, but what I've found is that a lot of people who do reach out and say, hey, you know, I think I'm being remote viewed, and I ask all the questions to find out, well, do you know, do you have, are you in a high position? Are you in, like, why would someone want to remote view you? You know, because I, the most of the remote viewers that I know that have achieved the level of a skill that they could remote view you if they wanted to, sure have a lot better things to do. And they're usually not of a voyeuristic nature, you know? Yeah. And so, and so I always say, be cautious about those kinds of fears because it can lead to paranoia and just, you know, make your life unpleasant when it doesn't have to be. Well, here, here's the, here's the hoping. Um, uh, here's the, here's another one I got for you is, um, you know, you, you brought up poltergeist situation in the, in the beginning. What about death? The, 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 the link between or any kind of relationship between death and remote viewing. Is there, is there anything that like, for example, I mean, could a, 
Uh, can a person remote view a room as someone is dying or in a hospice ward or ICU? Is there a way to interact with departing spirits? Uh, and then now we're getting into a little bit more, you know, the, the, the supernatural aspect here. But if you're able to traverse time and space and talk to a guard from, you know, on another continent or at least get into their minds, what about a consciousness that's passing from one life to the next? Yes, definitely. That's definitely doable. In fact, when Lynn Buchanan was in the military unit, uh, one of his taskers did task him to several times to be remote viewing someone just as they were leaving this life. Excuse me, I have to cough for a minute. It's okay. <laughs> and um, he found it fascinating. And <clears throat> I think he was tasked with it because he had indicated that he had a fear of death. You know, so it was kind of like, oh, well, let's give him these targets, see how he does. She's doing all right. She's okay, everybody. For everybody in podcast land, she's fine. She's fine. Sorry. <laughs> I had to cough every now and then. It's really dry out here. I'm up in the desert, and it's dry. So sometimes when I'm talking a lot, my throat suddenly gets really dry. But anyway, so um, in talking about that, you know, it's interesting because I've had a lot of experiences with kind of mediumistic. Again, she's just fine. It's a dry desert. It's a dry heat. And, uh, and, and <laughs> you I'm, think I'm, people are going to be worried about me? <laughs> no, it's good. It's all right. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, and I'm an old lady too, guys. <laughs> Yeah, every time you say that you've got a, a great-grandchild, it kind of freaks me out because you, you, you just look so young and youthful. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, yeah, I have a beautiful great-granddaughter. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, my, my oldest daughter is uh, 47. My oldest child is 47, and she's a grandma. Wow. Yes. That's wonderful. This is so <laughs> but great. But I was a grandma. I was a grandma by the time I was 37. So That's good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're talking about death. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, you know, for many years, I had these experiences with ghosts, and I was really freaked out by it. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to go there, you know. And uh, I just fought it and fought it until finally I couldn't find it, fight it anymore. And I finally decided, hey, if I have this ability to help people kind of, you know, reach closure or have a message that helps, a, a young man came to me. He called me and made an appointment with me. This was years ago. I had an office, um, and he, you know, an office where I did mediumship work. And he called me and, and made an appointment. And then right before the appointment time, he called me to cancel it and left a message that he wanted to cancel it. And I called back like instantly, and he didn't answer. So I knew he was deliberately not answering. And I left a message for him saying, I think the reason you canceled your appointment is because you're a Christian and you're worried that this might be displeasing to God. And I said, and I just want you to know I was a missionary for 20 years. And I, I do this because I feel like God gave me this gift and I need to help people with it. But that's totally fine. Don't worry about canceling your appointment. And so he instantly called back and said, could I keep my appointment? I said, yes. So he comes to see me. And I instantly just knew that his father had committed suicide by hanging himself. And that this boy was frightened and angry and you know upset and didn't understand why. And I was able to see literally like a movie exactly what had taken place. 
um, where his father had had a fight with his wife and his the wife he had was not this boy's mother. And I described her and he said, yeah, he married her four months ago. And, you know, just having this conversation with him. And I said, they're in the kitchen. There's a side door in the kitchen. He goes out the side door and into the back. There's a shed in the back. He's like, how are you seeing this? Because it was, I was completely describing everything that he lived in. And I couldn't, you know, it's like, I cannot understand. I cannot explain how I was seeing that. Um, you know, and I was able to explain exactly what happened, what he did and what he was thinking at the time. Um, in another case, a woman came to see me and I was describing this man and she was saying, yes, yes, that's right. Yes, that's what he looks like. Yes, that's what he's wearing. I said, he's wearing like an auto body shop with his name on his chest, you know. And she said, yeah, he owned an auto body shop. And so then, you know, I just said, well, I'm not getting anything else. I, you know, and she stood up to leave. And all of a sudden I had this stark vision of this man with the auto body outfit on, splayed on the floor with his chest blown open. And these four guys that had come in and murdered him. And she sat back down and said, this is why I'm here, you know. And, and so I went on and explained everything that took place and what he was trying to communicate with her. Don't mess with this. Don't try to find out who did it. I apologize that I didn't leave you in my will because I or didn't marry you because I didn't know I was going to die this soon. Uh, but, you know, I didn't want this to happen. And, you know, so there was this whole message that came through quite detailed. And, you know, I just felt like this was great that I could give this information. Um, you know, and it's just felt like a gift. I didn't, but I didn't feel like it was a seance or that I was communing with the dead or anything like that. This was just information that was coming through. And even now I couldn't guarantee you that I was speaking to that man. I just know that there was information that she needed that was coming to me somehow, whether we are all just consciousness experiencing itself through these bodies or whether there are individual consciousnesses that can communicate after they leave the body. I don't know. You know, I don't attempt to try to understand all the mechanics. All I know is that there have been so many times with very specific information that comes through. Um, and like, I remember talking to this one couple and I was like, well, who is Eugene? And I mean, when you think about when I, and they went, oh, well, Eugene is this guy's father and da 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 but we're you know like what how would the name eugene come to me it's not like a common name like you know do you know someone named john who's passed over you know, you know it's more, right it's more like yeah it's more uh you know a little more specific than that or the name of the group that kidnapped the guy that was a very long name you know very specific so i think that we are all the reason that these things can be happen that they can be done frank is because we are consciousness and we're all connected. It's like a, it's like a, a hologram. That's like a web and well, time is all around us. It's not linear and we can reach up and experience things from any point in time because time doesn't roll out in a consecutive line. Time is happening all at once. You know, I, uh, when you, when you talk about the remote viewing and a lot of what you have said, I, I have some foundation on it. So I, I understand that this is for anybody who has been in a, a position of authority over teaching it or whatever, working for a government agency or a big corporation or anything like anybody who employs this kind of this kind of um, service or, or 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 skill. They are they're always talking about how this is a universal thing and that anybody who puts the time into it can hone the skill and they can use it in in in, in pretty practical easy ways what you're describing 
right there from the medium's standpoint is something that I, I, I that, that that is a very rare gift. I really do. Be, I do believe it's it's real, and I do believe it's a gift because it's not something. I mean, there's so many charlatans out there. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who hear this and think that everybody who says they can do this is a charlatan and must just be, you know, talking to yourself and getting lucky and all that. But I, I just, I do believe that there are some people out there who, who've just got it. And, uh, and I know that what you're describing right there is far different from remote viewing and teaching that on a, on a level. I mean, you know, this, what you just described, I don't believe can be taught, but let me, um, let me ask you another uh, really quick question that I, I would be remiss if I if I just left this one off, even though there's more places I can go. But what about the disabled? What about blind people? Can can remote viewing give vision to the blind, or could remote viewing give someone like Stephen Hawking when he was alive, someone who is just disabled, could could they use this to free themselves from the prison that their body has become? That's a really interesting question. <laughs> Many years ago, I met a man. He was a, a doctor. Hold on. And he helped. He taught a thing called cell level meditation. Hold on. Jeez. One second. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Don't, we're, we're almost done, Lori. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. I can pull in here at the last. I'm, I apologize. I should have brought some cough drops in. No. Anyway, so he taught cell level meditation. It's an amazing thing. And um, I had blood poisoning and lines going up my leg, and I did the cell level meditation. With an hour, it was gone. And he had a friend who was blind who used this on his eyes and re regained his sight. Oh, well, you're you're, so you're talking about a moment of physical healing. Um, that in itself is pretty remarkable so yeah, definitely if there's anything more about that story you can give us more but also just uh in general just it, it let's say there's just nothing you can it's congenital um they're just they're blind they're healthy otherwise but can they can a person who has never seen before can they can they gain vision and of course that would be very easily verifiable proof because they would be yeah, describing I don't know i don't know because i've never had anyone that had never seen. However, there have been some students who were sighted and lost their sight for some reason and then became remote viewers, and they were very good. And uh, and we have some workarounds for them in some of the areas so that they can do the CRV. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, you know, and they say it's great because it, when they're doing CRV, it's like they can see again, but it's all mental, right? And Lynn Buchanan had a, a an injury that caused him to lose his sense of taste um and he you know so he he can always taste things but he can he can like he he loves nanner pudding <laughs> he's from texas and he loves nanner pudding tomorrow's his birthday we're going to spend the day with him and he wants let nanner pudding but he um he said that like one thing he loves about remote viewing is for example he can taste strawberries when he's remote viewing wow. he can't really taste strawberries but he can taste them when he's remote viewing yeah and so, um, yeah, so it's, you know, I mean, if, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I hope so. Well, I mean, there, there, I mean, when, when you talk about taste or any other kind of, you know, smell, I, I guess that's the, I guess that's the thing, but, you know, it, it's in the same ballpark. Can this, um, can this, 
can you experience a have a fully in in uh, fully immersive sensory experience outside of what are normal physical limitations of your body of course you know giving sight to the blind through a uh, a some sort of a, a psychic ability that is um that is something that I, I would love to get a little bit more on that there has to be some information some kind of some kind of information out there and laura you know in, in the uh, off air we have to talk again and i'd love to do some things i'd love to see if there's any any kind of exercises or or experiments that we could do to prepare for like you know presentation on a show anything that we can put some of your i don't know i i don't want them to feel like circus sideshows but any of your best viewers perhaps you can view some of the things inside of this inside of this broadcast studio that nobody's ever seen before and we uh, i i would love to do some some experiments with you if, you, if that would be all right well, we can talk about it when we're out after the air. Right now, <clears throat> my schedule is so packed that I can barely, uh, mainly because I have some staff that are on vacation and not available right now, so I'm kind of handling a lot myself. But we've got so many projects in the works. I've got three new video courses coming out. I've got a, I'm in the middle of my third book. Um, you know, so there's a lot, a lot going on right now. But, um, but I would love to. I would love to do some fun things. I think it would be a lot of fun. I, what I would really love to do is do an experiment where your audience got to do a remote viewing. Oh. You know, and, and I could guide them through it. Because like I said, seeing someone else do it is not nearly as impressive as doing it yourself. You well, know, that's so much more convincing. I know that there would it, there would be a, a, a good number of people that would say, sign me up for that, and we'll see if we get any takers on it. Lori, in the meantime, I mean, there's a little bit left over, but it's, I mean, compared to everything else, I mean, the UFO stuff. All right, you know, real quick, last thing of the night. Yay, <laughs> yay, yay or nay, for somebody who has done what you've done, you're talking about off-planet, you're talking about all that stuff. Now you have earthly governments that after decades of mockery and ignoring it all, we are getting congressional hearings where it's not only about how we are, where our, our pilots are unable to train properly because there's just unidentified craft all over the place and it's interfering with that. Then we have somebody, this other guy that comes out yesterday and says not only do we have recovered craft, but we have non-human bodies. Um, can a... Could remote viewing be used in any way to confirm or deny anything that is being pushed on us right now related to UFOs? Yes, and that's exactly why I am passionate about teaching it. Because we're on, we we have an onslaught of things that try to influence our opinions, right? There's everything on a screen, right? And we have congressional hearings, we have YouTube videos. During the pandemic, people were just, they were just inundating me with YouTube videos. And they were saying, you know, media is a lie, you know, we can't watch the news. So as a remote viewer, you can remote view the truth rather than just being a subject to having to choose, do I believe this or do I believe that? You know, you could literally be given a target that you're blind to that would then lead you to a truth that you wanted to see. That you needed to see. Does that make sense? Oh, is that something that could ever be, you know, I was saying before, uh, can somebody ever detect whether or not they've been remote viewed? Well, I would have to imagine that one place that would have to, by just nature of its existence, need to be paranoid is a place like S4, 
um, you know, uh, Area 51, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, all these places of legend and lore from Roswell to everything else, I'd have to imagine that they would have to have their psychic, you know, uh, uh, nightclub bouncers uh, making <laughs> making sure that nobody's taking a peek into some sort of an underground bunker out there. So, I mean, how... Uh, Here's the thing, though. You, controlled remote viewing was developed for the U.S. military, right? And the re, they developed it in such a way so that it would be undetectable, because if it was detectable, it wouldn't be very useful as a tool for spying. And so they, it's designed, if it's done correctly, to be completely undetectable. So the answer is, can someone detect if they're being remote viewed? Not If it's a real remote viewer viewing them, the answer is no. They can't detect it, um, if, especially if it's being done properly. So whereas OBE, if someone goes out of their body and comes to visit you, you could possibly see them. There's there's documented cases. It's you know it's like a bilocation where you actually see someone in two places at once. Yeah. So, so the yes. Yeah, so as far as this being a tool for the U.S. military, a tool for spying, they, one of the experiments they had to do was to see if there could be a location that could be protected so that remote viewers could not view it. And that took a lot of experimentation and work, but they were trying to, to shield something. Um, they knew that the Russians had a, 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 an installation that was protected and they couldn't remote view it. So they had to find workarounds, like a back door, like a hacker at a computer, you know, mm -hmm. to get in and remote view it. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that's that's some that's some stuff right there. I, I now I don't know if you do do anything on on this this growing interest or this growing narrative that's being built up for us with the uh, the, the the now the 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 un, the oncoming alien invasion that is being um, rebroadcast and built up now by everybody who used to deny it. Let me know what's real and what's nonsense from your vantage point. And now we know that you have a you have a very very uh, you have a varied perspective on this stuff, so I would love to. Uh, I'd love to hear back from you on on that, Lori. Do you have anything coming up? Any appearances? Uh, I know you were talking about the classes that people can check out on your website. I have your link in the description of this episode, so they'll be able to click through on that. But what do you want to leave people with? Um, what I would love is if you're if you're interested at all in learning more about what your mind can do, and you know you want to explore your own uh, boundlessness, do go to intuitivespecialist.com because I do have a free course there. It's a completely free. It's not a sales pitch. It's a four part course. You get an email every day with a link to watch that video, that day's video. You have like ten or twelve days to watch it all at your convenience. It says it'll be in your inbox at nine a.m. the next morning but it, you know time is sometimes it shows up on time and sometimes it's 10 11 but the bottom line is you have 12 days to watch it so if you're busy and you have a working schedule you can still do it and people write me all the time and say oh my god i just took your free class i can't believe what i just did it was amazing and there's no trickery to it it's just a written methodology that's designed to separate your consciousness from subconsciousness and uh so do take a chance you know, just more, do the free course, and then you can write me at Lori at intuitivespecialist.com. That's an S at the end of specialist. Lori at intuitivespecialist.com, and just let me know how, how it went for you when you did the free course. Well, <laughs> I, I know that if, if anybody in this audience does, and there'll, there'll, there'll be a few, um, I just hope that they write in to me as well and tell me how the hell it's all going. And uh, yeah, I want to, as much as I would love to do a 
an, an audience experiment. We definitely have to have some fun because I I would love to. I've asked a number of people, hey, I've got something on the table, the coffee table over here in the uh, in the broadcast room right now. Tell me what it is, and I am a believer for life. That's what I always say there, uh, Lori. But we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk after the show. Thank you for everything tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated being here. It was a lot of fun. Okay, be well. Thanks. There you go. There's Lori Williams. Lori Williams, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you all enjoyed her as much as I did. And uh, that's a it's a nice end of the uh, it's a nice end of the week. But we're not done yet. We have some things to do. I'm not going to go on a on a on a commercial or an intermission right now. I just want to get into what you guys and gals are saying. What do you think? I think that there's a lot to, there's a there's a lot there, a lot there. I do believe in um, I do believe in this ability. I do not believe in the inherent um, the, in the idea that this ability or looking into it is inherently bad. I never whether whether it came to remote viewing or uh, OBEs or even uh, the talk about UFOs and aliens. I, it, it never shook my faith. So. Um, that was nice to hear that that it only expanded her um it only expanded her appreciation for w- what god is and how how massive his work is across the universe but um but you know there's probably a, there has to be a lot of different opinions out there and i can't wait to get them all the sentient from theta says great guest frank two questions damn it have you ever remote viewed cold case or a murder oh well oh like jfk well, I don't know about the JFK thing. These are that is a great question. We could have gone for two more hours, but she, as you can see here, there was there was that the kidnapping situation, which is very odd about the um, almost assuming a the, the the sympathetic rationalizations of 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 why the prison guard was there, overseeing all of the the human the human. Um, hostages and can you remote view very uh, variables in the future to predict an event i think that would be an interesting question to hear the answer to especially if the event is something non-human related something not related to human will i'd have to imagine that it is far easier to remote view the the, the fixed past then it would be the ever-changing future because of how any number of things can knock a person off course in, in a matter of 30 seconds. For something you could have viewed 30 seconds ago, something changes, and then all of a sudden you have new variations. Another question I could have gone to if, I had, if we had the time, but you know we're almost done here. Another question I, I could have gone to is if that peeking into the past is that immersive now obviously she wasn't talking about the ability to go to jane goodall's hut and pick up a cup and throw it across the room like it's ghost or something like that but she's there it's real there's almost like full sensory immersion into the whole thing i started wondering if this kind of remote viewing is contributing to what we've been talking about lately with the mandela effect 
Is that it? Or is that something or those ripples in the timelines something that is only reserved to massive technological undertakings like whatever is going on over there in CERN? Thank you for that, Sentinel. I'm sorry I wasn't able to get around to that. Stowe Stoops says, Great Thursday, Frank. And frankly, he's just dropping a little something in the till over here. Uh, oh, till. Uh, uh, in the till. Thank you for the great listen and the guest tonight. Let's see here. Um, Problematic Will says, Last night was amazing. I already have some copper and root and definitely check in with the results. Tonight, however, hard pass. So he's hard passing on tonight. Don't know exactly what he's hard passing on, but I guess everything. Uh, Let's go over to Penny. Penny Whitbrode. Oh, Penny. Now, I've got to talk to Nurse Penny. I'm going to save that for Nurse Penny. If you can please get in touch with me. If you can get in touch with me at quitefranklypodcast at gmail.com, I want to get you on the calendar for September, October. I wanted to put some time in between her telling of her NDE, her near-death experience that she told on Dark to Light with Tracy and I. It's an incredible story. And um, I, I, I would love for her to say that, to, to go through that with all of us on this show as well. I just wanted there to be some time in between so she didn't have to go through all of that and let the other one really, uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous story. Said um, Penny said, I shared my NDA with uh, NDE with you and Tracy. I would agree that these anomalous experiences expand our understanding of God. I can't wait until that story is told on this show. Let's see. Cody117 says, hey, Frank, not sure if you already covered this, but did you see that chef for Clinton and Bush also died of drowning back in 2015? Yes, I saw that. I did read that. Jay Semo says, I have a problem with the government also. Well, then we have something in common, Jay. 925 Wild says, uh, pre-Diluvian civilization. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would do. That's what I would do. But it would be very hard for me to know whether or not it's just my imagination. Regardless of how much... And I understand to do things like um, the color... It's pretty much, you know, the remote viewing. You know, in the beginning of Ghostbusters, when, uh, you know, Bill Murray is sitting there, uh, Venkman is is there, and he's doing the flashcards, and he's flirting with the girl, but the other guy is kind of getting it right, but he's ignoring all the real results he's getting, and he's giving him the electric shocks, and he's trying to get a date with the girl. Um, I can see how those tests, whether it be colors, colors of cards inside of envelopes or the squiggly lines and the shapes or whatever, those could be really good for setting a, um, you know, setting a standard for how much your perception can be trusted so that when you go into something a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit harder to verify, like the ancient past where there were no recordings or pictures or anything of how something was done like the building of the the pyramid I can see how it would give your remote your remote sessions a little bit more credence although there is going to have to be at some level of you just taking a leap of faith and believing a person's visions for something that can be 
the actual truth. Fascinating. Just fascinating. Cave Toad says, was great to see Robin's studio. I may have to stop using pills because of the limit on characters. Which, uh, which method takes the smallest cut? How much does Rumble take? I have no clue, Cave Toad. I have no clue. But I appreciate you one way or another. Wild25 says, Ingo Swan, numbers and dates are impossible. That's what he says. Again, 925 says, Robert Monroe, Astral Bodyguards. True? Does she know? Well, I brought it up, the Astral Bodyguards. Here's the thing. We're not talking Astral. I had a couple of lines of questioning going into this that I realized don't even go into this because um, what she's describing is that, I mean, Albert Taylor, that's a guy we would have to talk about with Astral Bodyguards. Um, where you're leaving your body, you're you're floating around, and and um, well, we got to bring him back. That's another one I'd love to talk to in in the in the uh, the fall. Anyway, it seems like everybody had a good time. That's all that matters to me. Over on Pill.net, thank you, Doug Simi. Thank you, loyal to the foil. Belushi says love to the Franklies. Robert Sarns, Cave Toad. Let's see, does Rob have a problem with remote viewing? I could swear he really was hesitant about the astral realm. No, Rob's not hesitant about any of that stuff. Rob would would say proceed with caution with binaural beats, with taking shortcuts, um, and we've had this conversation many times. I mean, that's the whole thing. Why, Why would somebody have a problem with any realm or thing that is obviously built into the fabric of our existence. I don't I don't get the fear with it. I understand anything could be misused. I th- I know that anything that can can be used improperly can cause harm to you and others. I mean that that's with any tool, a gun, a hammer, uh I, so much. So I don't um I can I can definitely say on Rob's behalf, only because he's made these statements before, that it's really just about shortcuts and things like that. CJ CJ says, ask her if she has remote viewed the shape of the earth. Damn it! Shit, that's just basic. I should... <laughs> oh, man. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll get back around to that one again. Um... Chai Possum, Frank, what's on that back of your hand? Oh, shit, I'm sorry. You, got, How many people have been distracting with this? It's a, a Christmas mouse. Aurora found a... I was at my, my, um, my sister-in-law's before I came here, and um, she was making pizza fritas, so I went over there, and I, I had one and just hanging out with everybody for a little bit, and Aurora found a, a, a sticker booklet, a, a Christmas sticker booklet, so she wanted to give me a present. She came up to me and she had a little sticker in her hand. And I said, okay, go put it right there. It's a, uh, it's a mouse with a Santa Claus hat on and uh, holding a, I think, a Christmas tree and a, what the hell is that? I don't know. It's a Christmas mouse. It's Aurora. I'm just going to wear it until it falls off. I feel bad ripping it off. Let's see. Uh, Music Man 75, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Now, here's what we're going to end with. 
as you know, I, um, I a lot of people in in the surrounding areas lost a a very good friend and a um, and a public figure in Father Tom Provenzano, and I was so happy to have been able to go to his wake and meet meet some great people and and just turn a, a really really hard hard situation a, a personal loss and a community loss into something that was very positive and i i got to meet the um local pastor father pat who we know knew of each other communicating through father tom especially around the time that i was getting aurora's baptism set up but now i i got to meet father pat and he was so happy to meet me and it was a great it was a great time because he knew so much about me through Father Tom. He knew that he watched every night. So I have two things for you, and one is going to play after the uh, after the credits in case you wanted to watch it. It's about a three-minute clip of the homily yesterday where Father Pat actually mentioned this show. I was a little, I was a little, uh, when he told me, that he was going to mention me. He mentioned me mentioned things on the show a couple of times because of because of how it was a ingrained part of Father Tom's routine. But I thought that this three minute clip was really nice. And I'm going to play that after the the credits if you want to stick around and watch that. But for now, I also had this sent to me by uh, a f- friend of the show, a friend of mine. His name is Benny, and he he emailed this little clip. He said, Frank, the the video guy at the church yesterday shared this video with me. It was Father Tom fooling around and testing the microphone on Thursday night, the night before he passed away. He was happy and joyful right up until the end. Here is uh, just 15 seconds or so of Father Tom on Thursday night, a week ago tonight. And uh, the next morning he'd he'd be gone. But uh, here he is. All righty, testing one, two, three. We are testing. We are making sure this baby is moving the way it's supposed to be moving. And uh, yeah, so good to be back. Midday, middle of the afternoon, get the energy up. <laughs> All right. And we're ready to rock and roll. And that's, that's Father Tom. That's just, uh, just a good guy, good friend. And I'm sure we would have gotten a lot closer over the years, but I'm, I'm happy for the time we all had. And that's it. That's how we're ending this week. So thank you to Lori Williams. Thank you to everybody um, who have been who's been hanging out with me this week. Tomorrow we'll figure something nice to put on the the website on the on the network going into the the weekend. And next next week, starting on Monday, we have some great great shows ahead. So I'm looking forward to being with you all again. Enjoy, everybody. Have a wonderful wonderful night. Catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, it was filmed in front of a live studio audience. And now, our super chatter, starting with Problematic Will. Uh, Stostube, the Sentinel from Theta. Thank you to all of my friends across Rumble. Thank you to all of my friends across foxhole i'm releasing the scratching right now enjoy the rest of your evening over there thursday night programming you guys are good you guys are good good people and i'll see you on monday
baptisms, weddings, funerals, it was always the same. Here I am, I'm ready. Now in honesty though, I have to tell you, while Tom was so available in all those things, when it came to paperwork, he was a complete disaster. <laughs> Total. And looking at his desk now, I noticed that he begin to make, began to make copies of things so that when he couldn't find one, he knew that there was a copy of another someplace. But the beautiful thing is that Tom's pastoral work was always A++. And that's what God saw. And that's what God wants. Perhaps the best witness of this came last Friday night I don't know if any of you listen to Quite Frankly. It's a podcast on YouTube. Comes right here from Portchester by a local, by a local guy. He was here today at the wake. His name is Frank. But Frank on Friday night gave a beautiful tribute to Tom. Tom used to listen to that podcast just about every night from seven to nine. He'd listen very carefully to everything, quite frankly, was saying, and he'd respond to him, quite frankly, about what he thought. And as he spoke about Tom, he spoke about the fact how Tom, with his little hook, talking about music, eventually started to talk to him about the need to come back to church. And how Ash Wednesday was the first time he came back to church in 20 years to receive his ashes. And then Tom started to talk to him about how important it was for him to baptize his baby. And how Tom instructed them for the baby's baptism. And how last April, right before Easter, when it was quite frankly his birthday, Tom convinced him it was time to go to confession. And he came to confession after 20 years. He said all this on his podcast. And he simply said this here. Father Tom encouraged his attendance at mass and brought me back to church. And he described Tom this way. He was not didactic, not severe, not rigid. He was just a reliable, relatable, good shepherd. And I'm going to miss him. Father Tom had the pastoral heart of a good shepherd. Where did all this come from? Father Tom's motto at ordination, I am the true vine, you are the branches. He who lives in me and I in him will produce abundantly. Father Tom produced abundantly because he lived in Jesus.